0: Welcome to the one O podcast, the video version, first video version, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner, part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. Uh, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify and iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, And uh, be sure to also listen to the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast with Paul Wadlington and Kevin Dunn. Of course, our podcast is presented by the following sponsors.
1: Audio-visual consultations. Give them a call, 512-255-8678, to get the home TV setup of your dreams. AV Consultations has been hooking homes up in Central Texas for more than three decades. They're the absolute best in the business. They can give you the TV setup you've always wanted. AVConsultations.com is the website. And we're also brought to you by Altstadt Brewery, Altstadt Beer it is German beer made here brewed in central Texas, but available wherever you shop for beer all throughout the state of Texas. The official beer of the one and O podcast should be the official beer of you as well. It's Altstadt beer, no impurities, no regrets.
0: All right. So uh, we will talk a lot of basketball because that's kind of the,
1: the big sport
0: in, in the, that is in the middle of the season right now, but Texas football did make an addition over the past week to uh, what is many Uh, What is going to be many different portal additions in Alabama, tight end Jaleel Billingsley, a guy who played plenty and caught a pass in basically every, looks like almost every game this year, at least one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So nine of the Crimson Tide's game this year caught a pass, uh, caught uh, several touchdowns. And he comes to a Texas tight end room that just lost its top two options. And the, the rest of the options are all guys just finished their first year in Austin.
1: I feel like we needed the LeBron James, not one, not two, not three drop right there. But uh, you're right, man. Billingsley, a big addition for Texas at a position of dire need. And look, Billingsley was not the starter in either of the last two seasons at Alabama, but he still got pretty significant playing time and still was a contributing piece to that offense. So it's not like you're getting a guy who hasn't played before at all. You're getting a guy who was able to crack the rotation at Alabama in each of the last couple of years. Obviously, he has the relationship with Sark when Sark was there in 2020. uh, 18 catches, 287 yards, and three touchdowns for Billingsley in 2020 with Sark as the offensive coordinator. I found it interesting. 17 of those 18 grabs, Joe, came in the last seven games of the season. So it seemed like as that year progressed, Sarkin company had a little bit more trust and gave a little bit more responsibility to Billingsley. So this is not like a Ben Davis situation where it's a guy who, yeah, he was at Bama and you've got to be a dude to be recruited and offered a scholarship by Bama. Uh, This is a guy who like actually played and contributed to the Crimson Tide. So uh, a guy who I think has a chance to make a pretty big impact in Austin.
0: Yeah, he'll probably come in and be, I guess you could say, a larger little Jordan Humphrey. Uh, little Jordan Humphrey never really had any of those tight end responsibilities uh, that that Billingsley will have. Uh, but he also, even though he tried to do that at his pro day for some inexplicable reason, didn't really have that skill set. Billingsley will be a guy who I think probably fits more in the Cade Brewer mold of that position. Uh, kind of moves around a little bit more. Isn't. Uh, lined up on the line as much as someone like Jared Wiley was, uh, but he's, like he mentioned, he's a little bit more of a proven guy than what Texas has. Uh, all three of those tight ends played last year, Gunner Helm, um, Juan Davis, and even Jatavian Sanders sparingly, he got some snaps in during some blowouts. They need someone who they can be, uh, they can rely on a little bit, and I think you know, he may jump Juan Davis in line a little bit hmm. for that move around spot, uh, but I think for the other tight end spot, if they keep going 12 personnel with two tight ends, it'll be uh, Sanders versus Helm for that role. And can't count out Braden Leibrock, but haven't seen anything from him yet in his career. And this may be a guy who could could be coming in to kind of say – Hey, if you're not going to be healthy enough to produce, we need somebody here who will. And we've worked with this guy before, both Jeff Banks and Steve Sarkisian.
1: Yeah, and those three tight ends, you talked about Davis, Sanders, and Helm. They combined for one catch last year. It was Davis who had the catch, and it went for zero yards. So, not a lot of returning production at the tight end position. You mentioned Brewer's gone. You mentioned Wiley transferred out of the program. So, yeah, there's an opening there. And Texas needed some help there. And Billingsley, I think, has a chance to be the starting tight end right away. And I'm glad you brought up his ability to flex out and be sort of an outside receiver. Uh six, four, six, five, kind of a long frame he can do more than just be an inline blocking type of tight end. He can be a receiving threat when lined up on the outside too. So he's got a little bit of versatility from what I've read, from what I've seen, a decent blocker. I don't think he's an Andrew Beck type or anything like that, where he's just going to maul people, but he can hold his own in the blocking game. But I think the strength of Jaleel Billingsley will be as a receiver and uh, yeah, hopefully he can make an impact for this team because they desperately need uh, an upgrade at that tight end spot.
0: Just another example of you never burn a bridge because you never know who's going to end up getting in the transfer portal. Who's going to end up, you know, maybe joining your, your next stop. Uh, Never, never burn a bridge in recruiting these days, unless the the kid burns it himself, which maybe, maybe can't do anything about that, but coaches shouldn't be burning bridges with recruits. And this is a great example of, of, of why.
1: Yeah. Can I ask you this real quick? Like, What do you think about Jatavion Sanders, man? I was wrong about him. Like, I'm not closing the book on him by any stretch, but, like, I I thought he was going to make an impact last year. Maybe that was naive because he was switching positions and he was not an early enrollee, so he had a lot to learn, had to get up to college speed and strength and everything like that. But the only five-star that Texas had in that transition class of 2021, like, I – I thought for sure by now he'd be like, hey, this dude is your number one tight end. And, okay, this is going to be a breakout season. just doesn't feel like the buzz around JT Sanders is where I thought and I hoped it would be at this point in his career.
0: Yeah, I I can definitely see that. But he was a five-star athlete. He wasn't a five-star tight end. He wasn't a five-star receiver. He wasn't even a five-star defensive end. He was a five-star athlete. And like you mentioned, he didn't enroll early. Juan Davis and Gunnar Helm did. And although Juan Davis bounced around positions at Everman, kind of playing the the go-win-the-football-game position, he got that semester of in those 15 practices uh, of learning the tight end position. That's what Gunnar Helm did in Colorado. Uh, Jatavian Sanders played wide receiver. He was opposite of uh, Billy Bowman on those Ryan teams. So the the first practice he had at at Texas when he put on the pads – yeah, it was his first time playing tight end. It's why he basically had to work one-on-one with Jeff Banks about blocking and all that different stuff. Should he have maybe seen some more of the field? Yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely get that argument, but he had a lot to learn as far as just simply being a tight end. I think we all know that the receiving talent is there, especially for a guy who's as big as he is. Uh, but if, if you're a tight end, you can't go just be a one trick pony, especially not in this offense. And I think that was where he had to build up and, yeah. and learn that aspect of the game. So I'm not concerned about that. And now if he's still lagging behind after spring practices and yeah, it, it may be wondering, hey, we saw this guy tear up five a football out wide. Why isn't he able to do anything? Why hasn't he picked up the blocking aspect? If we hear that after spring, then. Yeah, I think there's some cause for concern, but I guess that leads into this being a a pretty important spring uh, for Jatavian Sanders, even though it is just his first spring at Texas.
1: Yeah, I want that guy to play. I want him to make an impact. I'm worried if things don't click, he could be a portal candidate, maybe not at the end of the spring, but like after this season is over. And and to me, like just that would be a a big loss for the Longhorns. So
0: that said, where's he going to play? What position will he
1: play? I mean, you can't, it's hard to.
0: Unbolt can go to wide receiver and by the time he was a senior at Denton Ryan really wasn't playing a lot of defense he was almost a receiver full time so yeah I, I think this is the path unless he wants to switch to defense which may help but. I don't know if that's going to happen at Texas, considering the class that they just signed.
1: Yeah. And by all accounts, he wants to stay on offense too. So Mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully it it does work out. There's an opportunity there. I mean, even with the Billingsley coming in here, it still feels like there's an opportunity for another one or two of those tight ends to get significant PT next season. I would love for it to be JT Sanders and yeah, would love to see some of the stuff we saw in high school translate to the college game too. So anything
0: else on the transfer? Is it time to start talking about basketball?
1: Oh, You know, we tried to put it off as long as we could, but uh... we have to go
0: back. We have to go to Hilton Coliseum. We've got to go to Ames first before we even get to what was even more disappointing loss uh, last night. And honestly, Brad, this game was decided within the first 20 seconds. It really was. And I know Texas fought back and I thought Chris Beard coached pretty well in order just to keep it close against Iowa state, but that doesn't count. And when, one of your I think your leading score, one of your top playmakers, is forced to sit on the bench for most of the first half in the first thirty seconds of the game. Yeah. It's gonna throw any game plan that you have uh, basically out the window. And he tried to coach his way, he tried to coach that team and, and get the most out of them against a, a really good Iowa State team, but It just wasn't enough after Timmy Allen went out with those two fouls.
1: Agreed, 100%. Yeah, it just felt like Texas was playing catch-up for the vast majority of that game on Saturday. And Timmy Allen, the leading scorer for this team, a guy who contributes on both ends of the floor, not having him for the majority of the first half definitely made an impact. And, look, Texas made some runs. I'll give Iowa State credit. Every time the Longhorns seemingly were getting up off the mat Iowa State landed another blow and Texas really couldn't get it that close down the stretch where you felt like, all right, like, hey, they've got a chance to complete this comeback. So tough one. Uh, Iowa State's a damn good team. Winning in the Big 12 is tough. Winning in the Big 12 on the road is really tough, too. I'm not too upset with this loss. But yeah, it sucks that that's the way that it went down. You just kind of knew early on that it was going to be a struggle and Texas could never really catch all the way back up.
0: They got good scoring from their guards, which that's been hit or miss all year. Whether all three of the guards, yeah. Jones, Carr, and, and Ramey, it on or not, that's been hit or miss. What they were consistent in doing was giving the ball away. Season high, 20 turnovers. Uh, Marcus Carr with four. And the forwards got involved too. Trey Mitchell, Dylan DeSue. Trey Mitchell had four. Uh, Trey Mitchell had four in 16 minutes. That's that's pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, Dylan DeSue had three. Uh, Devin Askew, who's – kind of the, the primary ball handler number two on this team. He had three, just a recipe for disaster. Uh, and Iowa State was able to get 23 points off those turnovers. So let's say you just cut down. Let's say, you know, you remove one from all those guys. It's a closer game. And yeah. it, it, that was part of the big reason why they c- were not able to get back into the game. They just kept giving the ball away. Yep. Uh, the other thing, and I think this is going to be a theme going forward, uh, it's just three point shooting. Uh, Texas was eight of twenty two. That's what thirty six percent. That's one of That's the better a- games that Texas has had shooting the three this year. Yeah, but and and they got to the line. Uh, yeah. They shot the free throw well. They shot from the field well, but uh, they they just there's there's not enough consistency from three for this team to be able to overcome 20 turnovers, but there's also just not enough consistency from three for this team.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think this team right now ranks in the 200s in terms of three-point shooting percentage. That's obviously not where you want to be. The turnovers were the biggest problem, though. I mean, Timmy Allen obviously getting in foul trouble early, but the 20 turnovers leading to 23 Iowa State points, they shot 57% from the field. They were making everything, but like they got, got a, a lot of good looks because they were able to get out and run and turn those turnovers, a lot of them live ball turnovers, into easy buckets so yeah uh, once again winning on the road in this league is tough you're not helping yourself at all when you're giving the other team all of those extra chances like texas did so iowa state was hot hilton magic was was rolling on saturday and yeah the the longhorns just didn't play well enough to get a win and look that's we'll get to k-state in a second as you teased like that's obviously the more frustrating loss but man texas is gonna have to win some road games joe Mm -hmm. Uh, that's gonna have to change i mean this team is now what one in four in true road games this year and their only win came against a very short-handed K state team where they didn't have their coach and they didn't have a lot of their scholarship players. I think they only had seven or eight players available that mm-hmm. night when Texas won at Bramlage. And Oh, by the way, it was winter break. So a lot of the students weren't even there. So you weren't really playing in a true hostile road, big 12 environment. Like that's the only true road win. The Longhorns have this year, like it, winning at Iowa state is tough, but you've got to win some of these road games, man. If you, Uh, it feels ridiculous talking about competing for the big 12 title after what we saw last night. But like, if you want to ensure that you're a lock to make it to the NCAA tournament, you can't just go over or one for away from home this year.
0: Exactly. And what's going to make that more important is that what is NCAA valuation tool? All these big 12 teams are probably going to end up. They're all going to be top 100. I think a good chunk of them are going to end up top 75. And is it? top 75 road games that are quadrant one for that NET. You've got to win some of those because right now Texas still has zero. That is a huge issue. And this, we have to talk about this because, and we've already hashed this before and no reason to really get into it, but we have to talk about them winning on the road because they don't have any quadrant one wins right now. And that's what the committee looks at very, very strongly in order to determine who is going to make the NCAA tournament, uh, and so not only do you have these quadra- no quadrant one wins, you got to go to TCU, which I think that may be the the winnable one. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, just looking at looking at the NET rankings right now, they are fifty six, so that's top seventy five. Uh, that gets you quadrant one, I'm pretty sure. Or is it top fifty? I think, it's, I think top it's top fifty. It's top fifty. Yeah. Still okay. TCU is second to last. They're fifty-six. Means if they win a couple, they could break their way into the top fifty. Everybody else is in that top fifty, and so and they, you know, they're going to beat up on each other. I don't see them moving up and down too much unless one of these teams goes on a losing streak. So these road games are going to be quadrant one opportunities, and that's turning them into must-win because of that, you know, pretty dismal. Non-conference schedule that they they elected to go with because Texas right now nine and they've played nine quadrant four games which I means outside of the top one fifty or something like that so they've played nine te- they elected to play nine teams in the lower half of college basketball oh they do have a quadrant one win who would it be it's the Oklahoma win Stanford now Oklahoma because uh-huh. it's well Oklahoma's thirty six. West Virginia is 45. Maybe it is Stanford. Stanford Stanford was in neutrals. Well, at least according to uh, the NCAA, they're now one and four in quadrant one games. So there you go. There we go. Good job by the the Longhorns there picking that up. Three and one in quadrant two games. No quadrant three or four losses. That's also going to be big. And I don't think they're at risk of that anymore. Uh, But yeah, they they have to win these road games because that's going to be what builds their NCAA tournament resume because they don't really have one as of yet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about the non-conference schedule, right? Like Chris Beard kind of set it up to give his team an opportunity to create some chemistry to mesh and gel. And you've got all of these new faces, right? Like uh, go up against easier competition to allow guys to find their roles and you stack some wins. That's great. But Yeah, obviously you don't have a lot of chances to pick up some quality resume wins. And the two real chances the Longhorns had in the non-con were against Gonzaga and Seton Hall. And Texas obviously lost both of those games. Like, either one of those games would have been a a great quality win. And I think Texas would be feeling a lot better about itself in terms of the tournament picture if they won one of those two games on the road this year. But because he lost both of those, Stanford's a bubble team, and I'm not being generous to them. They did beat uh, UCLA think recently, which was pretty nice. Obviously that makes the Texas win look a little bit better, but you just left yourself less margin for error with the sort of cupcake sec style non-conference schedule that you had this year. And yeah, you've got to make some hay in conference play. And look, there are plenty of opportunities for quality wins for Texas, but it's just like, it's scary thinking about, okay, well, if you can't beat Kansas state at home, how the hell are you going to beat Kansas? How the hell are you going to be Baylor? Uh, what's going to happen when you play Texas tech, And in terms of road games, you still have a trip to Norman and a trip to Morgantown. You have to make like a a lot of tough games for the Longhorns, a lot of opportunities to get those quadrant one type of wins, but man, they're going to have to play a lot better than they played as of late to, to ensure that they get those.
0: And to that point, I guess we can say this again, I get wanting a little bit easier slate to get this team that you're building uh, because for this year, you have to build a team. You can't really build a program, especially after all the, Chaka Smart players departed and uh, a lot of the signees got out of their NLI. I understand trying to build a chemistry with a team this year. You can play tougher competition than, you know, a one in 10 SWAC team or another, you know, just all these lower, you know, below 300, below 250 teams. There's, yeah. there's, meet, there's a meaty middle in college basketball that this team could have taken on. And probably succeeded against, and they chose not to, and that also factors into when we can kind of start talking about Kansas State this way. That's how you build a following. You play good teams at home, and you get your fans out there to see those good teams at home and watch them win. And so Texas plays. You know, I, I think the the Gregory idea was a great idea. Um, all the the different you know things that Chris Beard is doing in order to get fans out there and of course winning against Oklahoma at home that's always going to help but last night against Kansas State that was probably the best home crowd of this year uh, at the Irwin Center and I'm kind of thinking when that game is close with about five minutes left it's I'm thinking this is not only huge just for conference play this is huge for building this program up because yeah it's K-State it's it's as far as the big 12 goes, it's not a great team, but the big 12 is really good and they've played well this year. And big 12 always has tough outs. If you could have won that game with probably the most energetic crowd at the Irwin center, a pretty full lower bowl students, there back in classes getting their honey butter, chicken biscuits. yeah, You can win that game. Then you got people thinking, Oh, I want to go back. Oh, I'll win. Oh, I can do it. And now, They look at it, and some of these tropes are deserved. Some aren't, but they still exist at this point. Let's face it, Shaka Smart wasn't great on offense, so people think they get Chris Beard, you know, this all-star coach from Texas Tech, who's going to come in and fix that. That's not his style. So you have to win these games in order for people to consider that defense-first style more palatable, and it's a phenomenal defense with how they defend it all year. You got to win these games. And so not only I think w- w- that was a loss in in Big 12 play, but I think that was a, a little bit of a loss in trying to go forward and get more people involved and coming to the drum in its last year.
1: Agreed. Kind of a morale crusher for the Texas basketball program and to lose on HBCB night. I mean, that's that one hurts, man. That feels like a shot at yeah. Whataburger.
0: You're always going to get the diehards with with Texas basketball or the people who, you know, their donation for football nets. I don't know if this still is the way it goes, but their donation for football nets them basketball season tickets or just basketball fans. Like, you're always going to get that crowd. You're always going to get that 5,000-ish. But there were the the other 5,000 were there last night. The other ones who don't always go to basketball games, who want something to root for, who were tired of not winning – March games and not succeeding in the big 12 under Shaka smart. And they go and whether they're right or wrong, what they're probably walking away thinking is not much has changed.
1: Yeah. You were there last night. The listed attendance that I'm seeing for the game is 11,498. Was it anything close to that? I mean, Texas always milks it. Everybody always milks their attendance a little bit when they don't sell out. What, what do you think were, uh, was there last night?
0: I think there was more than ten. I okay. think that lower bowl fits. The lower bowl definitely fits over ten, and I think it was pretty full. So I'll I'll give them ten thousand. It would have filled. It would have made a great crowd at the Moody Center too. And it was, yeah. it it was a good crowd. But you know they they want to watch a, a win, and and not only that, the what happened when I made that kind of realization with five ish minutes left. The the game ended on a 6 0 Kansas State run. Yep. And they, you know, I I think everybody was excited by Marcus Carr. They knew it was going to go to Marcus Carr. The second, the last possession, Kansas State just snuffed the whole thing out, knew it was going to go to Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen, and said, no, make Courtney Ramey shoot it. Well, Courtney Ramey missed. Texas gets a stop. Everybody (sighs) knew that Marcus Carr was going to get the opportunity wasn't bad, wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And considering what he had done over the course of the game, you thought maybe he's got a chance, but they just did not play. And, and Beard did mention this. It was winning time and they didn't play well enough in winning time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned K-State closed the game out on a 6-0 run. Texas didn't score a point for the last 332 of the game yesterday. Like that's, that just can't happen in a close game. Obviously you need stops and you need buckets and Texas didn't get either of those. And the, You know, the Marcus Carr shot wasn't a bad look. It wasn't the best look in the world, but like, that's, that's a makeable shot. You live with with that. Exactly. But the possession before you mentioned it where, you know, out of a timeout, like that was a play that Chris Beard drew up out of a timeout and it ended up with Courtney Ramey jacking up a terrible shot late in the shot clock like that is incredibly frustrating right there. Like that, you need more from your head coach drawing up a play. And I know Chris Beard's not like an offensive mastermind, and that's not the brand or style of basketball that he plays, but you'd like to draw something up. And look, maybe he drew something. I'm sure he drew something that wasn't that up and K-State snuffed it out or Texas didn't execute it perfectly. But like to get that look with that possession out of a timeout, is just absolutely brutal. And look, I I think the bigger problem with Texas basketball was the offense, right? The defense, for the mm-hmm. most part, has been really good this season. But the defense down the stretch was not good last night. I, I think that's why Texas lost the game. And when this team's defense slips up, they don't have the offense to really overcome that, right? They don't have the offense to just go on like an eight zero 0 spurt in the span of a minute and 20. That's just not the type of basketball that this team runs. The defense last night, they just they couldn't keep K-State in front of them like they were getting out-athleted by K-State, and right. K-State was able to blow off. It wasn't just, like, one guy. It wasn't like, oh, they were attacking Marcus Carr or Courtney Ramey. Like, they could beat anybody off the dribble. Any matchup they wanted last night was working for them late, and they were able to get some easy buckets at the rim. They were able to drive and force Texas to help and kick out to an open shooter. Like, that, that to me, is why Texas lost last night. And of course, you can criticize the offense, and we will. We'll get into that, but, like, the defense down the stretch was just not good enough. And once again, they were getting out-athleted by K-State. And when you see that, it's like, how the hell are you going to hang with the athletes of Baylor or, or Kansas or some of the other big dogs in this conference when maybe the worst team in this league looks more athletic than you on your home floor.
0: And I know we've been, we've been harping on beard, but there was some player miscues last yeah. night too, especially on defense. And one of the big ones was coming out of the timeout, uh, I think with, what I think it may have been like the under eight timeout or something like that ended up being under six where Texas forces knocks the ball out of bounds with like two seconds on the shot clock. They go into a media timeout. And after the game, Chris Beard said, Hey, we know this was what their look was. This is their play. And Texas just didn't defend it. And it ends up being a corner three. And that, that was after, again, I made that point. The crowd was up, they were up and cheering. They were ready for deep boom, corner three, that yeah. lapsed. Uh, they they had some bad luck with a they ha, uh, Kansas state had another late shot clock prayer that guys were out of position to get a bucket for or get a rebound for and a K-State guard picked it up put it back in in the bucket i mean there there were there were plenty of coaching like all oh, darns but there were just as many player all oh, darns as well and i think it, to maybe transition this to the offensive side there was a really telling run in the first half that I think influenced how this game went. Texas started 8 of 11 from the floor in the first half. Mm -hmm. They finished the first half 10 of 21. So they they started 8 of 11, went on a 2 of 10 stretch, where the only thing they made was a Christian Bishop layup, and that made it a seven-point game. Meanwhile, at the end of the first half, let's see, K-State started out – They started out four of 13. They ended the first half eight or they ended the first half 12 of 30. So they went Mm -hmm. eight of 17, which, you know, just under 50%. So there was a stretch there where Texas couldn't find a shot late in that first half. Uh, and, and K state figured it out. Not only were they getting into the lane, they were just hitting all their shots credit to them like Nigel Smith, uh, you know all those guys, uh, uh, Smith or yeah, Mark Smith, Mark Smith. Uh, N- Nigel Pack, uh, Mike McGurl, Those guys played their butts off. Ma- uh, not, uh, Mark Smith played one of the best games I've seen this year, and it yeah. happened to be, I think he probably outplayed uh, Carr as a result too. Just just barely, both gave it their all, but you have to figure out that those guys are going to be the ones getting the shots, and they they did something didn't click with Texas.
1: Yeah, look, uh, midway through the first half, Texas was up by nine and this kind of had the feel of that Oklahoma game where like Texas jumped out to a big lead and it's like, all right, like they're going to coast, they're going to be comfortable tonight, they're going to have a double digit lead and you know, they're going to keep K-State at bay and look, Texas was a 10 and a half point favorite, they're going to win the game by more than 10 and a half, like that's kind of what the first 10 minutes last night felt like and then you mentioned it, Texas struggled offensively we've seen that way too often this year well this team will go long stretches without the ability to score points texas struggled offensively k-state started making some shots and at halftime it's a four-point game it's anybody's ball game hell it was a two-point game before the final second of the first half so k-state was able to fight all the way back and at that point it's like oh god we're we're in for a battle like this one is is going to be highly contested throughout so yeah that was a a frustrating stretch for texas and We saw it in the Seton Hall game. We saw it at the end of the Oklahoma state game. It feels like we've seen it in pretty much every Texas loss this year where they just go stretches without being able to score. And if you're going to play in close games, like you, you can't always survive those you're playing with fire. If you're doing that. And that obviously needs to change for Texas to turn things around on that end of the floor.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, and it's only going to get tougher. Uh, We can talk about these next two games. They, they, Texas welcomes Oklahoma State, who beat them in Stillwater, beat them in Gallagher-Iba. They're playing them here this Saturday. I'm I'm wondering – I think it'll be a decent crowd. I I still think it will be a decent crowd. I think it would have been better had they won. But now the students are fully back. Yesterday was the first day of class. Maybe they came back over the weekend. It's syllabus week. No one's studying on a Saturday, especially not at one. At least you and I weren't. They're going to go to that game. They're going to play that game, and I think they may be able to – I don't know if they'll match up well just because of what we saw uh, in Stillwater, but they have they'll probably shoot a little better than they yeah. did in Stillwater. I mean, law of averages there. And then a winnable game on the road at Fort Worth. Uh is not the most intimidating place. TCU's not the most intimidating team. That's definitely a winnable game for them before they face Rick Barnes and, and then have to go to Lubbock for that hell house that they're gonna walk oh, man. into.
1: Yeah, look, no college basketball game in January is a must-win, right? Right. The Texas can lose this game on Saturday and still pull off some upsets, win enough quality games in February and March, and and be fine and still get into the NCAA tournament. But, man, like, you'd really like to get Saturday. You'd really like to get these next two uh, because once the calendar flips to February, yeah, you've got that game in Lubbock. You've got another game against Tech in Austin. You still have two against Baylor, two against Kansas, at OU at West Virginia. The schedule gets a lot tougher. We've talked about that Mm -hmm. a lot. This is a backloaded Big 12 slate for the Longhorns. So I really thought, you know, last night's game, Oklahoma State, and the game in Fort Worth, those were three really important games for Texas, you know, not only for the tournament, but also thinking, hey, if you want to be in the mix for the Big 12 title at the end of this thing, you got to beat some of the worst teams in this league, like at minimum, right? You obviously have to beat you know, maybe split with Kansas, split with Baylor, split with Texas Tech, but you got to make sure you take care of business against the weaker teams in this league. And, well, Texas couldn't do that against Kansas State. And they obviously lost that game at Oklahoma State a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, you know, now it feels more like a just make sure you don't screw up your tournament chances type of stretch for the Longhorns because, yeah, getting swept by Oklahoma State, I know they're banned from postseason play, so they can't make it, but, like, I don't think they'd be a tournament team anyways. The way that they've looked this season, like getting swept by them, that would be bad. And like splitting with TCU, I don't think that's going to help too much either. So it does feel like a pretty important two-game mini-stretch for the Longhorns here before the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge when Rick Barnes comes to town.
0: I guess one more thing to, to wrap up, I, and something we've seen over the course of this game and maybe something I need to get the right answer to. Tristan Lacone is getting as many minutes as Jace Febris. And I know Brock Cunningham's kind of a little bit different category. That's just a, you know, a, a, a bug you guy. But why do you think Tristan Lacone is, and I'm not knocking him for it. I think it's, it's a lot of credit to him that he's getting those minutes. And Chris Beard has talked about how oh, we want to make sure Jace is able to, you know, survive being, just to survive this, the, the rigor of, of conference play. If that's the case, why are you throwing your six-foot yeah. D3 transfer out there instead of your six five three three-point specialist? I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. if he's going to do everything right that Beard asked, then okay. But, hey, I mean, I, I I give all these guys credit for giving their best effort, but there's a reason Luke Brockemeyer walked on. There's a reason that he was at a, a D3 school to start with. Yeah. There's a reason that Jace Febris was you know, recruited by not only the previous staff, but also after a fashion, this staff.
1: Yeah, you talk about Texas getting out-athleted. Well, putting Tristan Lacone on the floor isn't going to help too much with that. I I don't know if this is an injury thing for Jace Fabris, right, coming off a serious injury last year. Maybe he's just not where he needs to be. Or I just – I don't know if he's in the doghouse or if just Chris Beer doesn't trust him at this point. That that one is tough for me to explain. And And I will say this regarding the athlete conversation. I was doing a Twitter Spaces last night. Joe, you hopped on towards the end. And there was obviously a lot of reaction, a lot of buzz, a lot of people wanted to talk Texas after that debacle last night. Uh, A guy named Easton Allen, who plays for Texas Lutheran, and Texas Lutheran played UT in an exhibition game before the season started this year, a game at the Irwin Center, one of those Unite the Family games. Mike Wacker, the Lifetime Longhorns, the coach at TLU. And Easton Allen requested to speak during the spaces, and I let him hop on. And he said that Texas Lutheran, like two weeks after playing Texas, Played AM Corpus Christi. And he said, AM Corpus Christi had better athletes than UT did. And I was like, whoa. And then Easton Allen went on to say, like, I grew up in Central Texas. I think he's from New Braunfels. Uh, he grew up a Texas fan. Like, this is not like an AM guy or an OU guy just like taking a shot at Texas or anything like that. Like, this is a guy who grew up a Longhorn fan, firsthand
0: experience, you know?
1: and also played this Texas team early this season and is like, yeah, no, AM Corpus Christi had better athletes than UT did. So like that is, is pretty damning. Like Texas has talent. They've got a lot of experience. There's no doubt about that, but there's no like, you know, Kai Jones or Jericho Sims or even Greg Brown, like all of his faults and he had plenty last year. Like any one of those guys would help this team tremendously. Matt Coleman, like there's no true point guard on this team right now. Like any of those guys would help this team tremendously. And it's just a, a mismatch of, of really talented pieces and guys with a lot of experience and, Look, Chris Beard was dealt a toughish hand because Texas lost so much from last year and transition classes for recruiting are never great, but there are just some, like, some serious deficiencies on this roster that I didn't think would show up as much as they have, but they've clearly showed up a lot, not having a true point guard and not having the athletes that you really need to compete in this league night in and night out.
0: Yeah, that's why they pursued Artario Morris and probably why they're hoping and praying he doesn't end up going to the G League or or anything else like that. So uh, anything else on on hoops? Uh, We kind of mentioned those two games coming up. We can wait till next week to talk about the return of Rick Barnes and then Mm. the return of Chris Beard to Lubbock.
1: I will ask you this real quick before we get to some Texas baseball. Sorry to cut you off there. Um, You know, where are you at with Chris Beard right now? I, I forget this year, just like, Twitter is not always the best place to go right. sane fan responses, but it, it feels like there are a lot of Texas fans that are questioning this higher. And I think watching what Texas tech is doing under Mark Adams is kind of like magnifying that. And it's like, Oh, is Chris Beard even that good? Was it made more Mark Adams for why tech was so good the last few years, which I think that's freaking ridiculous. Like I think Mark Adams is a good coach, obviously a great defensive coach, but I still think Chris Beard's a stud, but do you have like any buyer's remorse on this Chris Beard thing, or are you sane and rational and willing to give this more than one half of one season?
0: All right, three things. Yes, correct. One half of one season with a team that he cobbled together, cobbled together, put together based off what was available. Uh, he doesn't pick who is available, unlike high school. I, it's a little bit different game. It's still a really great defense. It really is. It's still one of the best in the country. They they play hard. They play with a lot of effort. And that's one of his calling cards. So if it was all Mark Adams and and I guess Chris Beard picked up a little bit of what Mark Adams said, but I don't, (laughs) I don't fully buy in on that. The other thing is that I think after all of Shaka's failures, especially in March, people were thinking, okay, we're getting this superstar coach. And I don't know how much tech basketball they watched outside of the games Texas played Texas tech, but they saw this persona rise and, Texas tech get elevated to a national finalist. And, you know, the Texas tech be a program that people talked about again, after, you know, the Bob Knight and Pat Knight days were over. And now, it, Oh, we have, and I think they expected an exciting brand of basketball. And that's, that's not what it is. It, it's not, it, it, it's slow. The, the statistics bear that out. Yeah. They, they don't run. They kind of get Jack, uh, you know, just stop and start at times, but you still have to think about, okay, these are all guys playing their first year together, fi- figuring it out. He's got a long contract. So, yeah, I, but the the last part is how many times would Chris Beard say Monday night in the entire le- – from the day he was hired to yeah. the entire lead-up of the season? So, I credit to him for setting those lofty expectations and, you know, trying to meet them. But if you're going to set those expectations – we're going to judge you by them. So if he had said, like, we want to win a lot of games, we want to put ourselves in the best position. If he had kind of not, you know, managed expectations, but didn't shoot for the moon, I guess, right away, I think there'd be a lot more people who are a little bit, okay, we'll we'll deal with this and let us, as we did, you know, rank them top five or like that. But he basically from the beginning of this season said, I want to be a a top two team in the country which is great when you fall short of that and you fall short of it the way you're doing right now, Mm -hmm. that's, what's going to get some people wondering, okay, what, what happened? And I, I remember thinking back to some of my, some of my skepticism thinking, you know, I, I felt like I watched enough to know that stylistically on defense, it's not too different than what Shaka emphasized. They, They go about it a little bit different way, but Shaka was a, we're going to play the heck, heck out of defense and then, you know, kind of use out athlete you on the offensive end. Now it's Chris Beard saying we're going to play the heck out of defense, be in the right spot and just, you know, hope that gets us there with a pretty regular offense. And that's not top two in the country basketball. And right. I think that's where all the disappointment is. And then you can factor in the the Mark Adams bit because, you know, A – Tech fans are definitely letting all of us hear about it. Oh yeah, uh, and, and and B, it it's you know the grass is greener. So I think a lot of those concerns maybe about Beard originally were forgotten once you answered. Oh Marcus Carr, oh Trey Mitchell, uh, oh Dylan Dessou. Once he got all these guys, but he some of the things that made made him and made his teams the way they were really good teams, but not those nationally that nationally elite team that he brought in 19 some of those recent teams after that kind of are showing some of the similar traits that this team Mm -hmm. is now and i think people forgot about that solely because of the national finals appearance
1: yeah and those two deep texas tech runs they had like lottery type of guys with Zaire smith and Jarrett culver like they they had those incredible athletes they had some experienced guys and like they had some transfers but but it wasn't a roster like this. There were, ju-
0: there were a few Juco guys, right?
1: Juco guys too. Yeah, you know? It wasn't
0: these high profile option ones at their school who are now coming and learning how to, you know, sometimes be option one B.
1: Yeah. No, I think you hit the nail on the head with everything you said. I mean, Chris Beard talked about not putting an asterisk by year one, right? Like don't say, Oh, he doesn't have his guys. Like, no, these are my guys. We're going to build a team and we're going to compete right away. So I do think mm-hmm. he shot for the moon. I do think he raised the bar on himself. And yeah, when you talk all that talk and you're a preseason top five team and you're going to be unranked by the end of January, uh, obviously frustrating. And I think that is contributing to sort of the mindset of Texas basketball fans right now. But this thing will be fine. I'll I'll eat my words if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if this year doesn't go the way that we planned it to go, this thing is going to work in Austin. So you should not be closing the book on the Chris Beard era uh, just because of a, a sluggish start to conference play in year one.
0: I guess the one thing you would look to, I mean, we're going to harp on this offense until it's not harpable. Yeah. And I'm trying to think who, who on this staff has that offensive background because it beer just plays Bob Knight basketball. That, that is what it is. It's, you know, just beat them down for 40 minutes and hold them to one. He's not trying to score one more point. He's trying to hold the opposite team to one Hmm. less point. Yeah between Yurik Malik Malagai, between Rodney Terry, uh, between, you know, Chris Ogden and the one other assistant. Jarence named- Howard. Jarence Howard. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's the offensive guy? I didn't watch UTEP basketball. I know, uh, I mean, Malagy was at Tech with him, so he has to be from the same philosophy. Right. Jarence. For right or wrong, and some, uh, there are a host of factors to this, he gets kind of sometimes called a, a recruiter,s and I don't think that's true. I, think, I don't think Beard or even Bill Self would have taken him in if he wasn't an all-around coach, but I don't, I don't know what his offensive capabilities are mm-hmm. or philosophy is. So between all those guys and Ogden and, I guess, Bob, Do- who was on his staff at Tech before going to UTA – Bob Donwald, who was out there at, at like, who's, who's the offensive yeah. guy? Where does he go for it? And uh, that may be a question that doesn't have an answer.
1: Right. I don't know. I don't know the exact answer to that. Maybe that's something that changes after year one, right? I'm sure Chris Beard doesn't want to make any adjustments to his staff after his first year, but I mean, we just all, we just saw Sark do it in football. Like I'm sure Sark didn't want to do that after his first year, but if things don't go the way that they need to go, then all right, you've got to make some changes at the university of Texas. And you're going to have the ability and the resources to make that happen. You know, I I don't care who the quote unquote offensive coordinator is for Texas to me. I don't want to say it's an easy fix, but there's, there's something Texas should be doing that I think will help a lot. They got to run Joe. And that's not completely changing the identity of this team. Like this team is defense first. They create a lot of turnovers and they're just so content with slowly bringing the ball off the floor and playing in the half court. Like you're not a great half court team. You're not a great half court team. I you are that, you, that you are playing one
0: of Andrew Jones best assets
1: yeah you Just are to play. playing to the other team's favor if you are slowing down. you are literally letting them set up their defense to stop an average half court offense when you slow things down and, and this is not opinion like I looked at Ken Palm last night there are 358 teams in D1 college basketball Joe in terms of tempo in terms of adjusted tempo Texas ranks 352 okay? So like they are one of the slowest teams. Now, Chris Beard has never been a guy know, Tom Penders like the running horns. Like you're never going to see that. He's not going to try to play games in the eighties and nineties all of the time. That's not his strength, but you don't have to be the sixth slowest team in the country. You can be mm-hmm. a little bit faster. You could try to help yourself out, give yourself some breaks by getting easier buckets in transition. So many teams do that. Well, Texas, it, they just don't even try to do that. So I don't know if we can expect that to happen at this point in the season, but golly, it feels like Texas could give itself a little bit of extra help on that end of the floor. If they just try to run a little bit more, man.
0: Yeah, I I think so too. And, you know, I I think there's program experiments kind of going on at Texas and Texas tech, even to think about that, because I mean, they're winning now, they're playing great defense, but what if it, what we're saying about Texas right now kind of happens to tech, are they going to, be able yep. to chirp at the same. What if it keeps happening with Texas? I don't know if these guys are going to change that much. So it may just be, can you bring that defense to the level you want it to be at constantly? Mm-hmm. For sure, so, for sure. Important stretch. And uh, I think we'll learn a lot about Chris Beard. It won't determine his tenure because he's bringing in some talent. A, lot of, a good number of these players are probably going to move on in, into the draft and also – Texas is going to be active in the portal again, getting both lateral transfers and up transfers. So uh, this won't be, I don't think this will be indicative of the future this whole year, but there's got to be some signs I think going forward that, okay, we, we can, we can change up a little bit and have some things go for us.
1: Agreed.
0: 100%. All right. You want to talk about one more UT sport, hit the trifecta.
1: There we go. Let's do it. Hopefully this one can live up to the expectations because they are pretty lofty right now.
0: That would be if they can live up to expectations, there may be a, a seventh dog pile. So, yeah. uh, D1 Baseball, who I think is the, I, I don't think, I, I think they're unmatched in, in college baseball coverage. Uh, they came out with their top 25. And for the first time in the history of their website uh, since 2015, whether in the preseason or in any ranking, Texas is the number one team. Uh, they rank ahead of four SEC teams, including defending national champion Mississippi State and uh, national finalist Vanderbilt. Texas is the number one team. And, and one of the things, uh, I, like I said, I encourage people to uh, go ahead and, and check out Inside Texas. Also check out uh, D1Baseball.com. You're familiar with the 80 scale, right? With, yes. With baseball scouting, we mm-hmm. at where, you know, 20 is the low end and 80 is Hall of Fame. Texas has two aspects that are 70 grade, which are not given out very often starting pitching. And that's a 70 mm. and then experience and intangibles. Kendall Rogers offered a 75 out of eighty, wow. which is, but as I think about that, it's hard to disagree with You're returning Tanner Witt, who's going to move from the bullpen to the starting rotation. And he's thought to have, you know, top three round stuff. Tristan Stevens, who was consistent as Texas could ask for last year in a breakout year returning. Mm-hmm. And then Pete Hanson, who once he got back from COVID, even if he didn't have his velocity at left that left, he was a, the, the classic crafty lefty. So that Texas I've always kind of a, of the opinion that healthy programs typically have to replace one or one or two starters from a weekend rotation replacing all three is tough texas only replaces one and it's it's a great one with Ty madden but it's with another guy with first round potential in tanner witt
1: yeah that's it i mean the starting rotation look it's texas i mean we're used to great pitching in austin and the starting rotation has a chance to be the best in the country so you talked about it tanner witt's got ridiculous stuff Uh, expected to be a high round draft pick whenever he goes to the pros stevens is the saturday guy was awesome all season long last year and Pete Hansen, once again, the velocity of the stuff isn't like major league ready right now. Hopefully his stuff can get better, but that dude's crafty as hell. Like you don't see that type of craftiness out of guys his age, right? Like, oh, they don't have explosive stuff, but they still find ways to get guys out. Pete Hansen showed a consistent ability to do that. What he had, one of the lowest ERAs in the country.
0: Last yeah, 1.88. Like when is. you ever
1: see that out of a Sunday starter anywhere. So, yeah, Ty Madden, obviously tough to replace. I wish he was back, but, you know, of course he's gone. Wish him all the best. uh But, yeah, like the, the fact that you still have three guys that you should feel really good about. uh What a blessing for David Pierce. And then Aaron Nixon, too, uh, at the back mm-hmm. end of the bullpen. I mean, a, a freshman All American last year. Like, I don't know if there's anybody in college baseball that has like three starters and a closer like Texas does. And those are your four most important guys in your rotation.
0: The outfields known, Austin Todd returning, Douglas Hodo back, Eric Kennedy back. Uh, Prove it years for all those guys who had good seasons last year with the exception of Todd, who saw his season cut short again. But when he's on, he's on. He's just got to stay on the field. Uh, Middle infield, Trey Faltini is probably going to be the face of this team, rightfully so, uh, wearing Troy Tulewitzki's glove. and I'll I'll stop there. I don't want to get too (laughs) off to you my praise. The two departures uh, – can't forget Silas Ardoğan behind the plate. Two of the big departures in the infield were Cam Williams at third and Zach Zubia at first. They may have – I don't know if they upgraded from Cam Williams. That's a really tough thing to say because his his bat was always solid and his defense improved. Mm-hmm. But there's not much of a question in replacing him when they got Skylar Messenger, who's second team all Big 12 at Kansas, to transfer so yep. that's your guy at third. I know there are lofty expectations for him. And then at first, you're hoping that uh, David Pierce, and I think it would be, I think it, oh, it'd be Troy Tulowitzki, because that's he's the infield guy, uh, can help Ivan Melendez transition from DH to first base, uh, just like Zach Zubia did a few years ago. Keep mm-hmm. him in the lineup, put his bat in the order, and also be able to add another DH, another, another bat, instead of just having you know, a, a defense only guy at first base.
1: Who do you think would be that DH? Who do you think's the leading candidate or leading candidates to be that extra bad for, for Texas this season? So Kendall put down
0: Murphy Staley, who Cut. I think is a, is a really strong candidate. Uh, he's a guy who, I mean, if, if there were 10 spots on a baseball field, he'd be playing that tenth spot. They, <laughs> they think well of him. Uh, they really, you know, it's just, there, there's only nine spots, but he can play all over the infield. Let's see. Let me go through this lineup real quick. Okay, just going as I see it. True freshman Gavin Cash, yep. Dylan Campbell, uh, Tanner Witt could possibly do it if if they let him. I don't think he's pitching much, or I don't think he's hitting much right now. Peyton Powell. Um, that's is probably my picks right now. Okay, but that's that's four right there that you could consider yeah. uh even if, if if andre Duplantier starts starts hitting again that's another option but there that may be the competition spot whoever is at dh may end up serving kind of as that fourth outfielder fifth infielder because campbell can play both um uh, he's learning both at least uh, uh staley can play both mm-hmm. um you may be a little bit protective or smart with Peyton Powell because he's your backup catcher, but still, he he showed some pop last year. Like, yeah, there 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 are guys for all these spots.
1: Yeah, you've got a good mix of dudes, good mix of talent, good mix of experience. Pierce brought in a really good recruiting class this year too. I don't know how many of those guys will be expe- expected to contribute right away, but uh, some big name guys who at some point in the season I think will do something for this team. So. Yeah, I'm excited. Messinger, you talked about him, the new third baseman, not a power hitter. I think only had a couple of bombs last year for KU, but a high average guy, a pretty good defender as well. And then Melendez, I mean, we you can only hope his encore is as good as his breakout year last year. Uh, that dude was spectacular. And obviously the power he possessed was incredible. The Latino Bambino, as I like to call him. Uh, Special And, yeah, if he does what he did last year, then Texas obviously has a good chance to get back to where they got last year and maybe take it another step further.
0: And I don't want to – I think because of what we've seen with how he's recruited, which is, I think, really good. I I think there's an expectation of elite – And I kind of only grade these classes after I know that MLB signing period is completely finished. Mm -hmm. I think so far, uh, your your optimistic end says really good, and the the average end says good for recruiting. Um, But there's a lot of talent that could go is going to go probably onto the draft next year, including Melendez, probably Faltini, Messenger, Todd. If he, you know, there there are guys on this in this lineup playing. Their last probably their last season at Texas yeah. and on the pitching staff as well. There, and then also Troy, uh, Troy Tiewiczki's name came up for a couple different jobs, uh, in this past uh, college baseball carousel. Sean Allen's name is always one that's thought of. Philip Miller's name, he's I think he's interviewed at multiple spots. So Uh, This isn't me saying the window is closing because I I think you can't determine that before you've played the 57 plus games or whatever it is. But this is me saying that I can't think of a time in the Pierce era save. Maybe this is the best, this is the best opportunity to do something for Pierce in the program since last season.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The, the, uh, the iron's been plugged in for 20 minutes. It's hot right now. And this feels like the time to strike. So look, Being the Texas baseball head coach is not easy because the expectations are sky high every year. And David Pierce, I think, silenced. I don't want to say silenced. He temporarily quieted a lot of doubters with the year that he had. But I think for some, the jury is still out. And I think, look, as great as last year was, like if Texas struggles this year and doesn't get to Omaha with a team that's going to start preseason number one, I think there will be people calling for his job. And You talked about well, it. Like it, it will like- They got to
0: pay out. They got to pay it out because he just got a big extension, and yeah. and rightfully so. I know.
1: Like I, I'm not the guy doing that, but you know, right. you know better than I do. Uh, how Heck, Texas baseball fans are.
0: I mean, we were yay high when this was happening, but like Augie, I think he showed up in '97, and I mean, this is he succeeded a legend, uh, already an accomplished coach, but people were. You know, same way with Mac, who had to wait several years. And Mac, Mac kind of, I don't want to say skated by on the skin of his teeth, but there were people who were ready to move on from Mac well before uh, Vince Young took over the starting quarterback role. I don't know if it was the same way with Augie in Texas, but I know that there were people who were, you know, impatient because the standards are probably even higher for, for Texas baseball. Sure. And he, you know, he finally got there. David Pierce did not show up to Texas with that same pedigree. And I understand there are going to be some who are just national title or nothing, but I don't think you can, it's hard for me to, to, to frown and scoff even with that 2019 season at The what he's accomplished at Texas and what it looks like he's going to attempt
1: continue to accomplish at Texas. I I think he's done a really good job. And yeah, I I don't have him on a hot seat at all. Um, but yeah, I just I I know how some Texas baseball fans are like, and look, a lot of these guys are people who looked at the resume that you just talked about and never wanted David Pierce to get the job in the first place. Like David Pierce knows it, he wasn't the first and they,
0: yeah, they looked at the the process and it was a a, not a well run process by all (laughs) intents and. For sure. all intents and purposes. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, and they see why why should we accept it? and well it's played out pretty well on the field, and it's not it's not just small ball anymore, too. It's it's small ball with a little bit more pop.
1: Agreed. No, it's it's fun. Pop. And Last year was a hell of a ride, and this year hopefully will be too. I'm excited, man. And, and yeah, D one baseball, I, I hold them in a very high regard like you do, uh, to have Texas number one ahead of the defending champs and ahead of all of those dogs in the SEC uh that means they think pretty highly of this team and i think texas fans should be excited about what 2022 is going to be i know i am can't wait yeah. like to get there no doubt all right i think that's everything yeah i think that's it we got all three sports in hit the trifecta no doubt about it all right thank you all so much for listening or watching if you're watching on youtube appreciate y'all you if you've made it this far make sure you follow joe on twitter at Joseph Cook 89 check out the great work he does over at inside texas.com if you're not a sub What are you doing? Go subscribe. The best Texas Longhorn insider content that you could find inside texas.com is how you access that. You can follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner and listen to The Wheelhouse every weekday from 3 to 7 p.m. on ESPN 97.5 in Houston. ESPN 975.com is the website if you are outside the listening area. Shout out to our sponsors, Audiovisual Consultations and Altstadt Beer. and Shout out to y'all. Thank you so much. For your continued love and support. For Joe Cook, I am BK Brad Kellner. Until next time, y'all stay safe. Y'all stay healthy and hook them.